In the last decade, women have made up 50% of law school graduates, yet women make up only 38% of the legal profession. Somewhere along the line, we are losing women in the practice of law. What's the story? We're here to spill it. This is Spilling the Tea with M. Shielly, the podcast bringing together leaders and trailblazers to candidly share insights into their careers with the goal of helping you succeed in yours. Here's your host, a lawyer and advocate fiercely dedicated to the advancement of women in the legal profession, S.C. Selleck. Netta Monsorian, with 25 years of combined experience as an entrepreneur, board member, mediator, and risk manager, Netta Monsorian is a trusted go-to Silicon Valley business and legal strategist. Netta has unique experience in providing general counsel services, leadership training, including HR and employment best practice strategies, and business development and negotiations advice. She specializes in resolving sensitive and confidential situations requiring sound judgment and discretion. Her style has earned the trust of confidence of her high-profile clients and business partners that include corporate boards, elected officials, C-suite executives, and startup founders, and international family offices. Netta's lengthy legal experience includes roles as a founder and managing partner of two successful Silicon Valley startup law firms and as the chief legal officer and director of a well-known fast-paced trial firm. Netta serves as a senior member of her firm's executive committees. Passionate about philanthropy, diversity, and gender equality, Netta served as California Women Lawyers President and also as chair of its board of directors. In these high-profile leadership roles, Netta represented over 42,000 constituents from throughout the state and led the organization's numerous committees and board of directors. Driven by a strong entrepreneurial spirit and long before her career in law, Netta founded a successful company in the hospitality space. She continues to serve as this company's managing member. Let's jump in with our first question. Uh, and thank you uh, again. This is Netta Monsorian. She is Wonderful. I've known you for, ah. I, think, I think it's been like eight years oh, now. It been now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, it's that's cr- right. crazy. You Where knew me from a, a baby attorney and now I'm a middle-aged I attorney. I, know, I remember it's, I don't know, when I met I don't, you. I don't know what happened there. Just the time flies. I don't even it does. It's crazy. It does. Um, it what sure does. does success mean to you, Netta? So I, I think for me, success means being able to be of value um, and get people to a better place than what they started with with me. I think that's my role as a lawyer. That's my role as a business advisor. Um, and so that's, that's, what I, that's what I strive for all the time because people come to me with either a business issue or a legal issue because you know I kind of cover the gamut there. I, I try to advise people on uh, sort of a full continuum of what they need. And, um, and I think that that's basically what I try to do is why are they coming to me? And can I get them to a better place? That is success to me. And that, and that's not a bell ringing, like, oh, they won this case, or they won this settlement, or they did this. It's more just like, do they feel like their problem was solved in a way that makes sense for them? And that's realistic. So that would, I would say that would be my definition of success. 
your uh your website has a, a phoenix on it which i think yeah. kind of yeah i i trolled your website <laughs> your website has a phoenix phoenix on it which i think falls in line with that answer right um, yeah, I was I was reading what is well, so what does the phoenix mean to you? It's just rising out of the the ash of whatever, whatever it really you need is. to fix, right? It really is. Uh, it, it, and thanks for picking up on that. Uh, it, it, it's a subtle nod to the ethos of this, of what I do and what my, my firm is about, which is essentially you come to us and, and, you know, my background is crisis management. I continue to do crisis management and risk mitigation. And so taking people or companies out of the ashes and bringing them out is absolutely exactly where I strive to be. And that really falls in line with what I just said about what success is. Are you in a better place than where you started? Yeah. Um, and, and that's exactly right. That's what the Phoenix is all about. It was a very purposeful icon, I guess, or symbol. Yeah. And you, you've always been that kind of person, the, the, the mediator, the constant fixer, I think is, is what I would, I would always just, you know, if, if there was a problem and that is the person to go to. So with that you. being said, what do you think is the biggest change that you'd like to see in the legal profession? The biggest yeah. change, that's a real easy one, actually, for me. Oh. And that, and I'll tell you why. I went from being at a fairly large firm with clients. A corporate clients that had a lot of resources. So I was on one side of the table. I've been uh, at a smaller firm. I've done different things for smaller businesses, for individuals as well. And so I've seen the continuum of what people have available to them in, in terms of resources. And so my, my hope and my, um, my dream for the legal profession is to bring some efficiency into the profession and to equalize the playing field in those big guy, little guy business disputes. I see business disputes where people are just hammered because, and they have to give up because they don't have the resources to defend or to pursue. Um, we have got to, and that's just in the business realm. Like if you want to go into like issues around housing and healthcare and, you know, um, I just had a guardianship case. Yeah. Guardianship. I mean, I don't have to tell you about all this. Yeah. You see it every single second of the day, but just in terms of, you know, my realm, which is business, even many people have to give up their rights because they just don't have the ability to be dragged through our legal system in the state that it's in now, which yeah. is completely on the civil side is, is shameful. How, how you, if you don't have the resources, you got to walk away from everything you've built, whether it's your intellectual property, whether it's a company you've tried to build, any of that. And so I, the efficiencies would help having, bringing up a, a crop of lawyers that are willing, like you, to start their own firms and be excellent lawyers so that they can represent people in an efficient way is what I hope for. Do you see, and I know you have a, a background with, with mediation. Do you see mediation as being a, a tool that will, will help push that forward also so that we keep people out of, out of the judicial system um, and in, in rooms talking so that we don't have to use the system as much? I do. I do. I think the ADR of any kind in mediation is so incredibly powerful. But here's the practical footnote to that. If you have a big company that has a lot of resources and you have 
the little guy company that has none. How motivated do you think that the big yeah. guy company is going to be to come into a mediation in good faith? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So from the gate, you're at a disadvantage. From the gate, they want a $12,000 mediation day at JAM, you know, um, which, by the way, you get what you pay for. So JAMS is absolutely worth it. And they can, they and many mediators like them can really actually produce miracles where you never thought a case would settle. Nevertheless, you already are splitting those fees. Then you're coming into it, you're paying a lawyer for a whole day, you're paying a lawyer to prepare for the mediation. It's inherently unequal even in that realm. And I hate to sound cynical about it, but I'm just being proud, you know, me, you know how I am. I practice. I just call it like I see it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's important for lawyers to be honest about the inequity in the judicial system so that people know that it's happening and that we see it too, because only then will, will the rest of the world understand that we're trying to fix it from inside, even though it feels like no one's doing anything. So I, I hear you, and I think that it's important that you've said those things. So thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch directions though for a second. I know that you've been the president of California Women Lawyers. I know that you do a lot for for women in the law. You've been a mentor to many people, including myself. I know Suzette Torres is yeah. you know and, and thinks you're the the greatest thing that ever walked the earth because you I think are. You guys are great. Oh, just stop. <laughs> so what yeah. do you want an ally to do to support women lawyers? I want them, again, this goes back to like, just be real. And if you say you're an ally, don't gaslight people by saying (laughs) you're an ally and then, you know, looking the other way when somebody needs help. So I think to be a true ally, you need to put your political, social capital, and sometimes financial capital where your mouth is. Um, Stop saying you support women. And then the minute that somebody needs help, you're like, oh, I'm sure somebody else can help out there. So I'm not going to say anything. or I'm not going to do anything. So I think that uh, that is what I, I would expect an, a true ally to do, whether it's a woman, whether it's a man, it doesn't matter if it's somebody that you barely know. It's really important. So you find your allies where you can get them. We always talk about that, right? Don't mm-hmm. say, well, I'm a woman lawyer, so I can only have women allies or a women sponsor or women um mentor. But again, what do I want them to do? I want them to be real and I want them to do something. When they're asked for help, I want them to do something because you do something, I do something. If I have a, a, a brand new lawyer that's, in, that's looking for a job, I don't just say, oh, let me, I'll keep you in mind and I'll think about it. I actually sit there and I go, okay, here's this person's resume. What do they do? They're terrific. They need a foot in the door. Who do I know? I sit there and I think about it. And then I send emails. And then I follow up on those emails. And, and I'm just as busy as the next person. But I do that because that's what I say I'm going to do. So that's what I would have done. So don't get me started. But I think that that's really the, the key. It's to do something when you're an ally and not just talk. Yeah. So I would say that's something that we, we've talked about this before, actually, offline. Uh, Netta. Yeah. And you, you said that a couple of years ago to me. And that's something that stuck with me in our in our last chat was mm-hmm. be a talker and a walker. So, yeah. yeah, you were you you said that. And I've been trying to put that into my life, too, which is when somebody says that they do something, remember it, keep it in your mind. And then the next time somebody says they need that, 
you know, use your little Rolodex and go, okay, this person does that. I'm going to put their name forward and yeah. always keep that sort of going. And, you know, don't just put your name in the ring for things, put always right. and always also, you know, the thing that's important is always put women's names and in, in the ring for, for things like yeah. now, whenever anyone asks for a mediator, I always, you know, make sure that there is a, a woman's name in that yep. list of three. Um, yeah. And that's something that I attribute to you. Um, so, and I'm, I always do it. And, you know, I, I can't say that there's always a woman mediator that I end up with, but sure, that's definitely something that comes out of, you know, our, my talks with you. So I, I appreciate that from, from our time together. So well, thank, thank you. you. I love that. I mean, I usually try and put two. I can't say that we end up with one, but I'm saying that we, we do. Whatever you can do is a lot more than other people are doing, Sutter. So yeah, there let's, it is. <laughs> let's hope that somebody who listens to this thinks about it and is like, oh, I should do that. Stack yeah. the deck. Raising um, that awareness. Yeah. When is a time you didn't stand up for yourself? And what is your biggest regret in not doing so? You know, as with many things in life, there's some gray matter here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say it's not necessarily a time that I didn't stand up for myself because if anybody who knows me knows, I, I you know, I get to it eventually and I ultimately yeah. do. Um, but it wasn't so much a time that I didn't stand up for myself, but it was a time that I didn't stand up for myself soon enough. Okay. And I think that's where the gray matter comes. And that's where I think a lot of um, women professionals, we get to that place eventually, but we don't stand up for, for ourselves enough and we lose ground in the meantime. And so for me, I would say it was a time that I didn't stand up soon enough. And I lost a lot of time and energy trying to clean up sort of the, the baggage that was left from not addressing something early enough and standing up for myself. So, you know, we tend to ignore red flags. We have great instincts, but we want to keep the peace. We have issues around guilt. Uh, we have issues around rocking the boat. So it's sometimes hard to stop a slow moving train, but you know, it's, it's indeed something that's moving in your direction and you got to deal with it sooner rather than later. So I would say that's really my, that's a time where I didn't stand up for myself is, is, and there's more than one time where I'm like, God, you know, I knew this was happening. Why did I wait so long? But I did it eventually, but then all the overhead of trying to clean things up or, yeah. and, and being more entrenched. So my advice around that would be trust your instincts and stop listening to that voice that says, well, you know, rationalizing everything. We talk about this all the time, yeah. but for, even though we talk about it all the time, it, we still do it. So I would say, please stop doing it because I've, I've learned not to. Now I'm kind of like, I don't know if it's age or what, but it's like, now I'm like, all right, I see some red flags with any situation where I don't feel like I'm getting a fair shake. And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know if it's my age or what, but I, I don't have patience for this anymore. I don't have the energy. I'm going to like deal with it right now. Yeah. And so my hope for people who listen to this is don't wait until you have the wisdom of age. Um, listen to people who've been through that and just say, okay, I got to stand up for myself and I got to do it quickly and early. So that's what I, that would be my advice around that. Yeah. That's good advice. It's really good advice. I think for, yeah. especially for, for younger lawyers, which might lead us into the next question, which is what yeah. advice do you wish you'd been given when you started practicing law? Is that it? I think that's it. I mean, that, that, yeah. that really is it because it is really so, 
so germane to so many things that we're uh, confronted with on a daily basis. And it could be little things, right? Or it could be something huge. But I would say, you know, one of my best skills is my intuition. And uh, I regret that I didn't um, value it more and understand that that was one of my superpowers. Um, And so trust and listen to your instincts. That's a huge one. Huge. Your gut is something, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. It's trying to tell you something. You should listen. Never failed me. Never failed me. Yeah. I thought I didn't listen to it, but it never failed me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank God you caught on. Um, I'm a slow learner, but eventually I got there. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're doing fine. How do you handle uh, interrupters or mansplainers? Oh yeah. This is a fun one. Um, Okay. So, (laughs) all right. You and I have kids, right? Yes. Okay. So my daughter is now 16, but she's frozen in my mind at the age of like, five to seven years old. And you'll see this. It's kind of like that movie, Father of the Bride, where you look at your full grown daughter and you still see them running down the stairs like they're, you know, frozen in that eight to 10 year Got it. range. Mm-hmm. And what I do in a situation like that is really, um, I try to stay calm. I use my last piece of advice, which is trust your instincts that, yeah, I'm actually being mansplained too. It's not, or and interrupted. It's not just my imagination. So again, you know, listen to your instincts because if you think it's happening, it is happening. And um, I try to stay calm and I go back to my daughter, which is I realize I'm the adult, obviously, in this situation. And I basically talk to them like they're my five-year-old kid. Yeah. I don't react. It's almost, you know, I suppose it's a little bit like my reaction is a little more condescending in a way. It's like, okay, well, I appreciate that input. But um, as I was saying, you know, it's it's very much like, or, you know, it's, you just have to talk to them like they're five and steer the conversation back to where you want it to go. Yeah. As opposed to letting them explain to you. And, you know, my style, Sutter, as you know, is very different where I don't feel like I need to be combative with every person I come into contact with, because I think no. that they, they actually drain my energy as opposed to the other way around. And so my style, and, it, and it's not for everybody and they're every, it works for different people is to not, not say, Hey, I think you're mansplaining here. As a, as a huge record scratch in the middle of a meeting or what have you, because it takes away from the power of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so in a very subtle, polite, professional way, I just say, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, you know, whatever the content is. So that's what I do is I just steer the conversation to where I want it to go. And I basically just kind of ignore what they're saying because it's like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> well, because you already know what they're saying, you know? Well, exactly. It's kind of like, hmm, okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I already know what they're saying. It's like a little bit of white noise. And I just kind of move on like I would with, you know, my five-year-old jabbering about something. And it's just enough for them to be like, oh, okay. Well, you know, it, it's not really glossing over it. There is some awkward tension there mm-hmm. um, because I sort of enjoy that awkward tension a little bit, but I just don't. 
you know, you know me, I'm a little bit like, I just kind of, it doesn't have to be a big explosion. It just has to be a a little weirdness for them to feel and for you to move on from. I get it. That's my favorite. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's like, let's, let's sit in this discomfort for a second. Oh, okay. Yeah. That didn't feel good. Right. Okay. But then I have a job to do. Yeah. Yeah, But then I'm going to keep moving and you can be awkward and probably not talk for the rest of the meeting. Exactly. That's my kind of thing too. Yeah, I'm like that's a great way of putting it. But that yes, that's exactly yeah. right the way you just described it. You sit that you sit in the corner and you think about what you did. I'm gonna keep going. Yeah. <laughs> back back to the five year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah. You be quiet. I like it. That's a hundred percent you. I wouldn't I cannot ever imagine you like raising your voice or being like, no. I can only imagine you just like very politely being like, Mm-mm, no, I'm not gonna accept that as an answer. Sorry, bye. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah just like the most loving motherly kiss off ever is what I would <laughs> imagine from you. So that's exactly that's how I true. expected you to answer that question. So I'm not yeah. at all surprised, but hopefully yeah. our, our listeners have learned something. Indeed. What, what is an under-recognized uh, hurdle for women in the legal profession? Where does one begin? Okay, I, right? I think there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about. And I realized that we have a short time together. So I'm going to raise something that I think might be unpopular. I love unpopular things. Yeah. You know, we, we need, it needs to be said. Yeah. I think that an under-recognized or unrecognized, maybe just under-recognized hurdle for women in the legal profession is other women. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. And the reason for that is because of a history, a long history of scarcity of opportunity scarcity of choice. And I have seen some of the most damaging hurdles for women and the most demoralizing being at the hands of other women in in their realm, in their profession, because we don't expect it from them. And when it happens to us, we don't recognize it at first. It goes back to that theme again. You know, you wait too long to stand up for yourself because you don't recognize it or you, you can't believe it's happening. So I find that women who don't support other women and who put up hurdles and are competitive and have sharp elbows to other women can be the most dangerous for for us in our profession. And I've seen it happen time and time again. Expectations of associates by female partners that are not equally distributed between male and female associates. A fear of being one-upped not including if, if, if I'm getting invited to a pitch, there's no way I'm going to tell my colleague about it because there's only room for one woman at this pitch in front of this company. And it's going to be me. It's those kind of things better that I really worry about. Um, and I, and because I've seen it and it cuts deep for women who are trying to make it in the profession because it's unexpected. It's really, really demoralizing and we don't recognize it for what it is at, when it's happening. And so we think we're kind of crazy because why, why on earth would another woman do this? So I think raising awareness is really important on that front in terms of just making, just building that tribe, building our community and the, the people who don't want to be educated around that and support other women, particularly women themselves, um, are going to be left behind, I think, ultimately. 
I I absolutely agree with you that that is an that is an issue that is that is happening, and I I support that we need to talk about it. So yeah, I'm happy that you brought that up. On a happier note, what makes you feel yeah. powerful? What makes you feel powerful? I hope it's I hope it's some other um other women. Yes, um, yeah. being around other women, talking to other women. I mean, it's like instantaneously inspiring and energizing. You know this from when we used to have our board meetings and we used to walk into the board meeting. It was the sense of like, oh my God, I just feel so uplifted. And so yeah. that's what yeah. gives me power. That's what energizes me. And talking to you, talking to Suzette, talking to all my friends from CWL is is really um, wonderful. Talking to Renee, every time I get off the phone with Renee and I miss her so much, I need to get in touch with her, is um, I, I just feel just totally powerful and inspired. The other thing I would say is that this took me a while to learn, and this is part of the lessons of life, is being authentic and understanding that that's that that when I can just be myself and have my own style and not adapt to the partner I work for style or my client style or everyone in the room except me um, it it I feel smaller than I am and when I can just be myself and and be who I am and whether people like it or not and just use my own voice it just it's it feels powerful and it feels right and um that's where that's the safe space for me and that's the space of comfort and authenticity for me so yeah well you are preaching to the choir there <laughs> yeah I know I know and it has not been easy I know yeah. that right yeah. um yeah. but the at the end of it it's it's worth it yeah you gotta you gotta learn how to be yourself because if if you're yeah. not you you're definitely you know people can see it you can feel it it's not good. So I know. You gotta... and, and I know. And, and being courageous, like you are being brave, being strong, it's gotta um, lean all in. the, all the, all the lessons that we learn from role models like you, right? It's like, that's where and you, you power. and you, I'm trying, and you. I'm you're trying. great. You're, you're a total powerhouse. <laughs> what you. three words best describe you and how do you want to be remembered? Little, little bit of a morbid question, but I like it. I know. Trust me, as the years pass on, I think about it more and more, especially in the last year and a half that we've had, right? I I think for me, um, generous, real, and kind. I don't want to be remembered as the best lawyer, the best business person. I, I don't want to be remembered as a killer deal maker. I don't want to be remembered for any of those things. That's not, it's part of who I am. It's not who I am in its entirety. It doesn't make me who I am. And so I think just feeling that I can be generous with my friends, with my family, with the people in my life, being real, going back to the authenticity thing, right? And which is more important than ever, because look at you and me, we're sitting here talking through a two-dimensional realm, right? So Mm -hmm. We've, we've, there's nothing more important than being real and then being kind, being just kind to people. Like, why is that so hard for some people to do? I find it much easier to be nice to people than to be mean or, or, you know, crummy to others. So those are my big three. And I, and I suspect that for many, many people and many people who are in our world that are, that that's probably a common, a common theme. 
I would hope that it would be. Um, yeah. And a lot of the people that, that I've talked to, that's that comes up a lot, you know. So it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that it's not, I want to be the best attorney in the in the world. But I, I think some yeah. people have that. I know. <laughs> like I'm, no, I'm like, totally. I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't need to be the best attorney. I just want to be like a good parent, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's like, true. That feels, because that how feels can nice. You- you, you and I have talked about this before. How can you be the best attorney if you're not ultimately a grounded, well-rounded person? You know, yeah. the, the two cannot be disentangled from each other, in my view. Um, I agree. Because if, if you're an aggressive lawyer you, uh, and you don't come from a place of humanity, you're going to get blindsided over and over again. Trust me, I've blindsided those lawyers big time. So it, 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 it all... Uh, comes from the same place ultimately, but it's not what defines us. Yeah, I, I agree. What is your mantra to get you through tough times, Meta? This too shall pass. It's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even have to think about it for two seconds. You want to know why? Because I've been saying it. Because I've been saying it like constantly for the last like year. <laughs> like, and there are other, there are all kinds of things that have come up. I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm not just talking about all the civil unrest and disappointments and heartache and heartbreak that we've seen. It's all kinds of things. But what gets me through it is I always try to think, I use the cliche, this too shall pass. But what it really means for me is it's going to get better. And we're going to come, I'm going to come out of this. And there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. And that's what keeps me going. Because there's a lot of things that we've all faced in our lives that would otherwise have crushed us, including me. But I always try to think there's there's something better. There's there's a reason for this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how we ha- we have to keep looking at it, right? Yeah. To to keep moving and get yeah. on to the next thing, right? Yeah. Whatever. That's for sure. Whatever else is coming. So. <laughs> that's whatever, for sure. whatever. And to to wait for our phoenix to rise. As wait as, for our phoenix to rise. Listen, you know, I am one of the most optimistic people you will ever meet. Yes. Uh, to a fault. <laughs> so, yes. You know, it's kind of like, um, oh, th- this is going to be great. And then, you know, um, but, uh, but, you know, we, we have to think that way and the Phoenix is going to rise. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. It's always wonderful to see you and to chat with you. Great. Uh, and I just, yeah. lo- I just adore you and congratulations on everything. I know you're doing great. And just uh, let's definitely catch up with each other for sure soon. Sounds great. Thanks awesome. for this opportunity. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Saturday. Take care. This has been Spilling the Tea with MCLE. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the women featured on the podcast? Visit our website at www.mcle.com or email us at info at Stay connected with us on Facebook and YouTube by searching MCLE LLC and Instagram and Twitter at M underscore she underscore LE. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, take care of yourself, lift each other up, and we'll see you on the next episode of Spilling the Tea with MCLE.